0: Thank you, Marilyn. I uh, want to say a couple of things that has nothing to do with the message, uh, or a, more than a couple. Uh, first of all, I'm going to reframe. I like all of you, but I'm not going to press flesh this morning because I've also I've been bitten by the bug. So I'm going to stay up here. I don't think I'm contagious, and uh, so I'm, I'm trying to practice re- reasonable uh, responsibility, but I felt like it was important that I be here. Second thing is, uh, I, I hope that your hearts were, were filled full of joy as that, what's a, what's a group of ducks, gaggle? Is that, is, that what a, is that what a group of ducks is, a gaggle? That whole gaggle of kids that left here, uh, let me just tell you, God has richly blessed this church um, with, with those young folks, and that's an amazing thing for a church our size. None of these uh, things have anything to do with the sermon, nor do they have anything to do with each other, but I hope that you're praying for them, um, because they are uh, a gift that God's given us, and uh, I'm excited that we have so many young kids. The other thing is, Brother David said it in, in prayer time, and I just want to say And we have also uh, another group of folks in our congregation. Not everybody is uh, either white-headed or getting white-headed, as I am. And so sometimes we sing songs like we've been singing. They're traditional songs, they're hymns of the church, and and it may not be the genre that we've typically. um, Some of us would like to listen to. I know it's not. Contemporary, and I'm speaking directly to all of you that's probably under 30. Um, but let me, let me give you an old man's perspective. I'm in a, I'm in a stage in life that I, I think I now can start talking like an old man, although I don't feel like I've got the wisdom of an old man. Um, but let me give you an old man's perspective. Uh, cherish those hymns. Learn them and sing them. Because there will be a day, take it from this guy, that you're in a situation, and the Holy Spirit will bring to mind what a friend you have in Jesus. When the whole world seems to turn on you, and you have no place to turn, you may be living in San Francisco, or LA, or New York City, or Austin, Texas, or Miami, Florida. You may be on a big and better career, and you may be in a growing, vibrant mega church someplace, but I will tell you that the hymns of this little country church sang in February of 2020 will resonate in your heart one day, and the Lord will say you have a friend unlike any other friend. There'll be a time when your life will be dark and dreary. You'll be pushed to the limits. You don't know if your faith will survive. You don't even know what you'll believe. And there'll be a time you'll drop to your knees and you'll be singing in your heart in the garden. There'll be a time when you are so grateful he walks with you and talks with you along life's narrow way. And I promise you That there's no better way to be happy in Jesus than simply trusting and obeying. Make no apology for this morning's musical choices. And I just was sitting there and resonating how I would give anything to go back to some of the country churches I've been a part of. And hear the people I love the deepest and the most sing those songs to sing them out of key and off tune. My grandmother's church was a little separate Baptist church. I don't even know what that means. Um, but I know what it means. But they were just a little church up on Highway 206 in Adair County, Kentucky. When You walk in the church. There was a deacon's pew, an amen corner. those guys couldn't sing but over here on the piano was one of the finest gospel singers and piano players I'd ever heard in my life. His name was Skylar McGay. And what I would give to be a 12-year-old boy or a 13-year-old boy walking in Mimi's church to hear brother Skylar sing What a friend we have in Jesus. has nothing to do with the sermon. But folks, before the message, you've been to church. God's done something in the midst, and that's what we're all about. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. Genesis chapter 2. Thank you for allowing me to go down memory lane, but maybe because I had not felt good this week. I'm emotional. I don't know what's going on. Maybe Kim says men go through menopause. Maybe that's what's going on. Uh, whatever it is, it's over I think at this point. So uh, let's start in verse 4 chapter 2 the book of Genesis. Here's the word of the Lord. These are the generations of heavens and of the earth when they were created and the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bit bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field yet sprung up, for the Lord had not caused it to rain on the land. There was no man to work the ground, and the midst was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man Of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. It was divided it became four rivers. The name of the first is the Hassan. It was overflowed over the whole land of Havel where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Bedlam and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon and the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. The name of the land, the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the river Euphrates. The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and flowers fades, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Does anybody want to pray for the preaching of God's word this morning? Anybody at all? Father, thank you for the opportunity to open your word. Lord, I pray that you will help me. Help me reveal, proclaim, speak. Preach your word. Hide me behind the cross this morning, Lord. May you receive all the glory and honor. I pray this in Jesus' name. God's people said, this morning we're going to take a very simple walk through the second chapter of Genesis. It's going to be a very simple step through it, and we begin in verse 4. We begin in verse 4. That's really probably what most scholars now say. That is the true beginning of the second chapter, of the break. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth. It's So there's an account, and we will see this accounting, this generation, all through the book of Genesis. Under the inspiration of the author Moses, we're told that We are seeing what is to be the preceding generations, the story of humankind and the relationship with God, beginning in verse 4. So this really is it. Verse 4 of chapter 2, all the way through the whole Bible, in reality, is a chronicle of the generations of man until the ultimate conclusion with Jesus' return. This morning, we're going to look at this chapter. There's so much here. There's so many verses there's so many sermons but we're just simply going to look at creation once again we're going to look at the location God placed the creation and we're going to look at man's vocation once again we will look at creation as you may get beginning the picture creation is a big deal it's of huge importance In the first two chapters of a Bible, it is the most significant thing. And I'm hoping you're starting to see the tremendous significance it has on us. Brothers and sisters, I must tell you that, and I'm going to make some emphatic statements or dogmatic statements, but if you're a Bible-believing Christian, what you do with the first two chapters of Genesis is everything. As a matter of fact, since I've been studying it myself again, anew, afresh, I can see how so many worldviews come into line with this and how I react to those have everything to do with what I believe about these first two chapters. There is a God and He's a creator and we are His creation. And so in chapter 2, there is a break and we will see that what's happening is Chapter 2, for a few moments, is a commentary on chapter 1. If you will, chapter 1's the high view, the 35,000-foot view of what God did in these six days to create the earth, to form and fill it. But now we see something a little more specific. It's no contradiction. It's just more clarity. The Bible's commentating. Moses is writing and giving us a little more detail, detail about creation. So we come to verse 7. If you have your Bibles, keep them open. We'll be walking through this. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. There's a couple of takeaways that I'd like for us to get here this morning. There's many more than that, but there's a couple at least. The very first thing is, that we see that God is forming man out of the substance of the earth. He is literally taking the substance of the earth and he's creating man. So he's creating man from what is there. And it's a reminder that man is a finite being. He's come from a finite place. And the second thing is to remember that God breathed life in him. Reminding them that man is made in the image of God. There's something special. No other creation did God breathe life into. God literally formed man out of the earth and breathed his life-giving power into man, creating the crown of creation for all of God's glory. So there's two takeaways. First... Dust reminding us that man is a finite man. If man forgets he came from dust, he will forget his finiteness and he will forget his utter dependence upon God. We are not God. We are not the creator. We are the creation. And our life came to us from God personally. There's a temptation that will always be with us that to live above this finiteness. We're, We're finite beings, and we get everything we have from God. The second temptation is for man to only think of himself as dust of the ground. So the first temptation is to think that he's something bigger than dust of the ground. The second temptation is to think of himself only as dust from the ground. Not only are we created from the dust or the the ground, he's also made in the image of God and the breath of God was breathed into him to reflect the glory of his creatures. If we forget to remember we are created in the image of God, we're going to live like the rest of the animals in creation. Do you get it? We are different than dogs and cats and elephants and gazelles in elephants and monkeys. I don't care what the world tells you. I don't care what is being taught in public education. I'm telling you, this is the truth of God's word. We are different. We are made in the image of God. Verse seven says something else. It says that that breath of life is to show us that we are unlike any other part of God's creation there is something special about us and I've tried to make that a constant point in my preaching the last couple of times so there it is there's the commentary the the commentary on creation but next is location if we look at verse 8 it says that God placed man in a garden It has a name, Eden, it's in the east. There he put the man whom he had formed. The earth was good. We see that in the first chapter. Every time God created he said it is good. And at the end of creation, he said it's very good. But God created a very special place called the Garden of Eden for man to enjoy. As a matter of fact, the name Eden can mean delight it is god's delight it's a microcosm of god's lavish provisions for man it was the perfect place for man to live it was established for man to flourish and grow and reflect the god that created them it means well watered it lacked nothing where was eden it was east east of what East of God's children's promised land. God's promised people had a land. And so in the Bible, whenever you read a direction, it's in reference to God's promised people. So it was east of the promised land. It was a garden of plants and every type of mineral. It had all that was needed. It was totally sufficient. It was full of wonders and riches. Folks, I want to remind you, this is pre-fall let me tell you about a God that we serve. We serve a great and glorious God. In the original account of creation, He created something for our every need, our every want. It was everything we could ever imagine. It was filled with glory and filled with wonders. It was a lavish place. It was a wonderful place. It was the perfect place. And in the middle of this garden, we find The Bible refers to the tree of life. If you look with me, it says that the tree of life was in the midst of the garden. The tree of life. So we see that it's a place that has rivers running around it. It's full, it's lush, it's lavish, it's perfect. And, And then we see a couple of trees popping up right in the middle of the garden. This tree of life, we don't know much more about it. We know that it has some uses throughout all of Scripture. I think I looked it up. It's used at least 22 times in our Bible. It it depicts uh, it depicts fullness or life. It's it's everything that has power. But we know that it had properties unlike any other tree. It was it had power beyond description, and it was somehow being used by our Lord to give life-giving power and sustain mankind we know this because of genesis chapter 3 and if you'll flip over with me there's an interesting verse we'll get to this when we get to genesis 3 but i want you to see why this tree of life is so important genesis chapter 3 verse 22 the lord god said behold the man has become like one of us knowing good and evil Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat it and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground which he was taken. He drove out man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned away, turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. What's going on here? This tree, we know, had some source of supernatural power That if God would not have banished mankind from the garden, he would have lived forever in that state and that would remain in his sinful state. I'll tell you, I'd I'd missed that all my life. The reason God put man out of the garden was man wasn't in a condition to live forever. He was, and this is again post-fall, he would have been living forever in a sinful condition. We'll see this term of tree of life at the end of the message, but next there's another tree, the tree of of the knowledge of good and evil. It was there also in the middle of the garden. It was a good tree. It was not poisonous. So whatever you think about that, it was good, but eating from it was forbidden. As a matter of fact, there was a command That if you eat of it you would die look at verse 16 and 17 the Lord God commanded the man saying you may surely eat of the tree of the garden every tree of the garden but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat it for in that day that you eat of it you shall surely die this is the first commandment that God gave mankind what was evil Here was the act of disobedience. It's if man would disobey the command of God in an act of rebellion, he would die. In the garden there was just one test. That's it. You could do everything you wanted, but just one thing. And again, we'll get to that in Genesis 3. Man knew only good at this point. That's all they knew. But if they ate of this tree, they would also know evil. One act of disobedience would take them down a death spiral. One simple act of rebellion would destroy them. And that's the point. That's the point. Our problem is disobedience. Our problem is rebellion against a holy God. And so we see this land, this location with its rivers and a tree of life and a tree of good and evil. Do you notice that rain hadn't appeared in this location? As a matter of fact, there was some scholars say there was subterranean uh, water. It was flooding. It would come up in a mist and there was no need for rain. This is pre-fall. This was a massive garden it was meant for man's eternal joy he could live here in this location with perfect harmony with his god the picture that we're being given here by moses is that god established a location that was amazing he provided for man's need it was perfection it was a place of glory so we see that man's created we see where man's located It comes to chapter 2 verse 15 now we look at man's vocation look with me at the Bible chapter 2 verse 15 the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it to work it and keep it I want to say something that I know will have some people come in after the sermon. You may go home and say well, but let me talk just simply about Genesis 2.15. It, it really is something that I feel strong about. We've allowed culture and Satan and the world to rob us of one of the greatest gifts God has given us. I'm talking about work. Now I know everybody can roll your eyes and say, oh no. But for the Christian, work is not a four letter word. For the Christian, work is not something to avoid. When you see creation, when you read the creation account and you read it pre-fall, you see that in the perfect state God planted man in the garden to work. If you go back to chapter one of Genesis, you see that God was doing what for six days? He was working. He was creating. And then he rested and he ceased from his work so he could call it good. Traditionally, the mandates that were established at creation, there's, there's the, the theologians call these creation ordinances. Let me give you a couple of them there's the creation ordinance of rest that's in we've talked about that in in prior times and just uh, next week i believe brother david's going to talk about the creation mandate or the creation ordinance of marriage so god in the garden created three things he created rest or honoring the creator he creates marriage But right here in Genesis 2.15, he creates an ordinance, a way to reflect the glory of God. And he says it's called work. Look at the Bible with me. I'm not saying this. This is the word of God. It says the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. To work it and keep it. There's something especially unique about humankind. We have a mandate from our Creator and we have the ability from our Lord to do work. He was going to work the garden and keep it. Now, do you know there's a difference between wilderness and a garden? Do you know what the difference is? It's order, it's work. Just, just think with me, wilderness is beautiful. Wilderness is there's there's some some wonderful things about wilderness. But there's something especially wonderful about when people humankind get involved and take those wonderful plants and those wonderful things and organize them into structures, into order that creates a beauty unlike anything else. Amen? Right? That comes from our Creator. If you notice back in Genesis chapter 2, this is no small thing. It says there was, in verse 5 it says when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant in the field yet had sprung up, for the Lord had not caused it to rain and there was no man to work the ground. It, he's saying that there was something not happening in the garden because there was someone not there and that someone not there was the man that was created to, to bring order to the garden, to work it and keep it and to show the glory of God. Yes, we struggle from the curse of the fall, in in our work yes work is a burden it's it's by the sweat of our brow and yes that's a result of the fall but work is not a it is not a punishment from the fall we're to always be looking for ways to make things beautiful and good do you do do you see if we're made in the image of god and god created it and it was good and when he pushed us in the garden, he created trees that are pleasing to the eye. And the Bible says, good. Do you not think that those of us created in his image should be doing the same thing to our world? And now I know we're talking post-fall. But I just wonder if, if I and you could just change the way we approach tomorrow, how life would be. What if we just approached tomorrow with our God-given command or mandate to make it pleasant and good? To make it pleasant and good. I want to be meddling at this point. What if the school teachers in this congregation tomorrow morning got up and went to their classrooms to make it pleasant and good and a sense of order out of chaos for their students. I believe that's what our school teachers here do. But I want to say to you this morning. We're cheering you on because that's what you're supposed to do. I wonder if people that work in the manufacturing realms would go to work and think of how they could think of ways to make things more pleasant and good in order out of chaos. That they could reflect the glory of God. Let me let me let me bring it home to you. If it wasn't for teachers, we wouldn't know anything, and if we wouldn't know anything, we couldn't do what we do. So because of teachers, they help us to learn our ABCs and read and write and math, and we take those we take those things and we apply it, and we go to school and and we learn experience, and then we go to a job. And for instance, I'm talking about manufacturing right now, and and I know that seems like drudgery, but but is it really drudgery? Because every one of us that go to work someplace and make something goes to somebody for them to use. Now, if you aren't in business to make something, for instance, if you're making like I have the honor to do, you make a car part, you get to put a car part on a car that the car is assembled and that car transports people back and forth to church. That's good and pleasant, isn't it? Or am I going in an ambulance? And that ambulance might be used to save someone's life. That could be good, right? Anybody with me? Or, or you could use it to, to manufacture some kind of electronics that create computers that we could use. Did you see? that? That's pretty Christian. It's pretty, pretty Genesis 1 and 2. Maybe you don't think about that. Maybe if you're a builder and you're building homes or buildings, you're getting to do things in a way that brings order to people's lives and gives them a home to house their kids. Or maybe you're a salesperson. Maybe. But maybe you're a salesperson that's bringing something good to someone to help them in the event that life takes an unfortunate turn and it helps them. You're not just selling an insurance policy. You're, you're creating something good out of life. Amen? Have I hit just about everybody here? Oh, I'm trying. What about the silver servant? I haven't forgot yet. Goes to the work at the courthouse every day. And that's the most unpleasant place to go to work because no one's having a good day there. But as I said to our sister not too long ago, it's there that you can provide a way for people to have a pleasant encounter and bring good to someone with a bad day. Am I stretching the text? Probably. But I don't think it's stretching it too far. Now let me say, those of you that no longer... Punch a clock, or go to a regular place of work. Your job's not over. There is no such thing as a retired Christian. The rest of the board members have phone numbers. You can call them and ask me not to preach again if that's what you want to do. But I'm going to press just a little further. You see, God's freed you up in your current state for you to continue the creative mandate to provide things that are pleasant and good and in order in life. And I don't know how that is for you. It may be serving the church. It may be praying. It could be VBS. It could be lots of things. But you're not retired. You just no longer work at that place and now the lord's freed you up and so my 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 encouragement to you is this morning to ask the lord what is it that you want me to do to reflect the goodness of my god verse 16 there's one one command we've spoken about it one prohibition Man's on probation, some say. It's interesting that we don't read the Bible in a collapsed version. We're reading this. Man didn't know that there was anything special about that tree. He would need the temptation of a serpent, and we'll go to that in Genesis 3 one day later. But this is the first covenant God makes with man. God makes a covenant with Adam. That if you don't eat of this one tree, you will not die. But Adam breaks it. He breaks this covenant. And so that takes us to the end of the story. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn to Revelation 22. Revelation 22, the back of the book. We go from the beginning of the book and the back of the book. And do you think it's any coincidence that this is the way God's story is written? Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, notice these words, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. These leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it And his servants will worship him. They will see his face. His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They'll need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. That's from the scene at the very end. That's from our new Garden of Eden. That's from our new paradise called heaven. And the only way to get to that garden is through another tree. There's a third tree. And that tree was carved into a rugged Roman cross. And it was there that we see both good and evil once again. I missed this until studying this. That tree was also in a garden. Let me give you John 1941. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. That tree that would be a Roman cross would show us the evil of sin and a rebellion against God. It would be the place where the wages of sin, which is death, were to be paid. It was a tree where all of our disobedience and our vile, wretched turning from God is nailed. When we look upon the cross... We see every dastardly deed that's ever been done, every wretched sin that we've ever committed. It is the epitome of evil. It's there that Jesus hung on the cross and paid for our rebellion by his death. It's also a tree that's good. It's Calvary's tree where we see the goodness of God. It's called grace. It was there the perfect spotless lamb of Calvary was die, would, would die. He'd make us sacrifice. He would make us righteous. He would give us what we don't deserve. It was there on Calvary we'd see the goodness of God's love. It's there on Calvary that we have our new entrance into this Eden, if you will. And so I conclude from Romans Romans chapter 5 you can just listen for why we were still weak at the right time Christ died for the ungodly for one will scarcely die for a righteous person though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die but God shows his love for us and that while we were still yet sinners Christ died for us Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even over those who are sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was the type of the one who was to come. Finally, But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespasses, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abound for many. Brothers and sisters, there is a new Eden, a new paradise. It's what we're longing for. It's what we're hoping for. And in the midst of it, is the tree of life, that life-giving power. And this time, we'll live on forever because of Christ's righteousness, because of what Christ did. Do you know him? Do you know him? Have you confessed and repented of your sin and called Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Are you counting on this Jesus as your only hope? Don't let another day go by if not. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. Lord, I I pray that you would help translate the message to the ears of the hearer and to the hearts of the receiver. May my words be forgotten, but may your eternal words be hidden in their lives and hearts forever. May this morning we be different because we've been with Jesus. May this morning we've been different because we've been in your presence. I thank you for the tree of Calvary. It's on it that I'm basing all of my hope and claim. It's on it that I cling to the promise that you love me and you died for me and I'm yours. If there be any man, woman, boy or girl in this building this morning that has not repented of their sins and come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would reach deep in their hearts and convict them and bring them to saving knowledge. Father, we don't want anyone to leave here this morning without knowing you as Lord and Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus.